Welcome to Diversity Conversations, where we engage in thought-provoking dialogue to identify leadership solutions to today's most challenging conflicts. Stream live each week, Saturday, 9.30 a.m. to 11 a.m., hosted by diversity, equity, and inclusion strategist and CEOs Eric Ellis and Tommy Lewis. Join us and add your voice to this engaging diversity conversation. Good morning, Greater Cincinnati, Northern Kentucky, the United States and the world. My name is Eric Ellis. I'm the president and CEO of Integrity Development Corporation. And I'm joined this morning by my good friend and brother. Tommy Lewis, president and CEO of Make It Plain Consulting. Good morning, Eric. <laughs> good morning, Tommy Lewis. How are you this Saturday morning? Uh, beautiful Saturday morning once again. All is well. Uh, I'm looking forward to this weekend. Right, absolutely man absolutely uh, it's, been, it's been a heck of a week a uh, good week as right. always uh but i am looking forward to the weekend getting a little bit of r and r okay good good that's a good yeah. thing man we need that uh because uh, so much of our focus is on work trying to change the world family the you know the things that matter to us uh don't often get enough sleep and uh, the weekends can provide an opportunity for that me time, that R and R, and I would suggest that uh, for our recommend that for our community and everybody else out there. How was your week, Tommy? The week was good, uh, Eric. We were uh, in a number of different places throughout the country this week, uh, both uh, servicing our clients. Whereby, you know, our our clients are more and more understanding that this journey of diversity, equity, and inclusion is indeed a journey. Mm-hmm. They're also understanding that uh, through my own experience and, 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 and God's grace that I've been along many, many journeys in this space. Mm-hmm. So before we were working with clients, Eric, and it's just to check the box, you know, come in to do three or four trainings. We'll right. offer up to say, you know, it's not just the training it's really understanding the people, the processes right. and the right. culture. And it can take three to five years to change a culture. Right. when it's intentional right right when it's intentional and also although there may be the best intent there are always these pop-up events right that could derail the work mm-hmm. so last week we had another a, a number of pop-up events where i'm like hey this is what i do all day right, right? and and I'll, I'll close with this eric with my week we we started earlier about you know, talking about R&R, getting rest and relaxation. Uh, the reason why it's important to me is because, and like you, that this is not just our jobs. Right. Eric. Everything we do, the way we view the world is trying to help other people. That's right. And, and we give a lot of our energy. We're doing research. Uh, research comes to us right unannounced and unwarranted we get research we get a lot of information yeah uh and so that that takes energy yeah. it's it's not a seven hour eight hour nine hour job it is 24 by 7 literally that it wakes us up in the middle of our sleep mm. and last week that's what was happening i was waking up with ideas i was waking right. up being right. driven to open right. up my laptop and do some research right Right. So I love doing it. Right. That's the that's par for the course, Eric. Par right. for the course. But worn out the next day. What all them <laughs> ideas? Worn out the next day. You, the last idea, you look over at the clock and it says, <clears throat> you know, 558. Yeah. <laughs> I might as well just go and cancel this. Ain't yep. nothing happening here. If I go <laughs> trying to get some extra sleep, man, it's over. The day might be passed. So you have to just jump up, get into it. It looks spry like you got a full night of sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, man, but you know, some of that is a gift and a blessing to us, man, that we care deeply enough about something that it uh, it stays with you. It gets you up in the morning uh, because we really want to make a difference in the world that we live in. And we want to do a good job with the uh, the. uh, things that we've been given uh, responsibility over, our, our businesses, our clients. I talk to my clients all the time and tell them that we do a, we spend a lot of time thinking about them. I mean, really spend a lot of time thinking about them. Yeah. I was with one of our clients this last week that 
Uh, we've established that core council. Uh, council sort of core stands for culture, ownership, respect, and engagement. And so now we've got leadership in place for the council. And we spent uh, uh, this week just meeting with them. And we're, we're uh, sort of wrapping up our orientation of the council. And in January, we're going to uh, give them the gavel and they'll take over. And I tell them, I said, look, we then uh, uh, sort of go to the co-pilot seat and you all uh, get to provide all the leadership for this council. Uh, I say we've recommended a number of things, but at the end of the day, it belongs to you. Yes. And uh, we're here to support you and what you want to accomplish. And so just excited about where they are going. That council is now bonded together, uh, but they do see that the road is not easy and there are challenges ahead, but there's this huge alignment between the CEO, this core council, and what they want to do within the organization. And I didn't anticipate, I, you can't plan everything, Tommy. Uh, you know, we didn't know how the council was going to work. We asked the CEO to be the executive sponsor. We never imagined that he would want to attend every council meeting and be a, a, an active contributor. And he's done that. And uh, I'll tell you, when he went around giving his talks around the company about respect and really setting the foundation for building this culture of respect, uh, those core council members were behind him 100 percent, man, backing him up, fighting for him within the organization. Uh, and so I'm excited about that. Uh, the other thing I got a chance to do is uh, work with uh, my son, Ethan, again on some music, man. And uh, I enjoy, you know, working with my children. I enjoy this transition that's happening. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that I wanted him to know was that as we collaborate, uh, you know, I need you to push back when you think that, uh, you know, that I'm on the wrong path. Uh, I said, and, and what I'd suggest is that we never conclude anything until both of us feel good about it. And in other words, I'm not willing to move forward if you don't feel good about it. But I want you to also consider my old ideas too, you know. Yeah. Uh, but it's a beautiful thing when you're able to talk to your kids about the importance of you respecting them and making room for them to really uh, disagree and push back and trying to figure out how we collaborate together. Because I've been his parent all of his life, but now there's a new engagement. And so you've got to really stand down, uh, take your parental hat off and put your partnership hat on and talk to your children about how do we partner uh, together in ways that will work. And since I know he's ADHD, I said to him, you know, if ever you need to cancel a meeting, you know, a practice that we have, that's fine. Right up to the last minute, that's fine. I just want you to let me know when you know for sure that you are ready to go, you know, so that because I can always adjust and put other things in. Yeah. Uh, but and I don't want him feeling bad because his energy comes up and down. And sometimes he said, I'm, you know, want to work with you. And then at the last minute, squirrel, you know, something else yeah. came up or he doesn't have the energy. And so he was appreciative of that. So I'm just grateful, man, to continue to be growing and that God gives you and I some wisdom uh, at times that we may not naturally have on our own to try to make better decisions. Yeah, that's well said, Eric. That's well said. And I'm excited uh, about the future projects that are going to come out of these collabor collabs, right. as they say, collaborations. Right. And also one thing that you shared that resonated with me um, I, I'm not musically inclined, but I love music. Right. Right. As you know, I, I DJ and all that yeah. stuff. Right. And so I have in my repertoire of music selections, uh, roughly between 15,000 and 20,000 songs. Right. Okay. And, you know, sometimes they're full albums, uh, et cetera, going all the way back to the 30s. Okay. I have music from the 30s. Wow. And so uh, when listening to the old head music, say mm -hmm. we go back to the 60s and 70s, mm -hmm. the way music was written, produced, performed was different than it is today. Right. Some may say that, you know, going back to the old school like R&B or mm -hmm. classic mm -hmm. R&B, mm -hmm. for example. 
And then there's this delicate balance between the new right. view of R&B, the new ears, and reflecting back to the old artists. Mm -hmm. So I've always been curious of, for example, you know, Anita Baker. Right. Many of us remember Anita Baker, beautiful right. voice. She was a kind of a, 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 a windstorm when she came into her muse. Mm -hmm. you know, she had produced and, and came up with two or three albums and then she hit the scene big. Right. And then kind of faded away. Right, right. What happened? What happened? It may have been the it may have been the business, right. the industry, right, or it may have been you know kind of, uh, you know creative differences, mm. right? right. So like you said, you're you're coming from a view, you're coming from a perspective that uh, tried and true, mm -hmm. and then your son is coming from a perspective. Yes, that's tried and true, but this is the new rhythm of the day. The right. new cadence. Right. And coming together still to make music. Exactly. Exactly. I love that, Tommy. And so I sent him a text at the end of everything and said, let me be clear about something. That your gift for understanding melodies <clears throat> and how to put a song together is better than mine. And I said, the, the songs that we've done together that you've led the melody and things are the best songs they're the songs that have the greatest potential to garner the, the largest audience, the broadest audience. So let me be clear about how much I appreciate your contribution to the work that I'm trying to do. Uh, and uh, But it's interesting because sometimes young people are so much into their thing that it's hard for them to do things that are other than their thing. And so what I want him to also have an appreciation for is different styles of music. And that every song that I write is not to be a popular hit. Yeah, It really, I have songs that are social justice songs, songs that may only be a music video, songs that may end a training session. And he's beginning to appreciate that. Uh, but us collaborating together on this is really a wonderful, wonderful experience and opportunity for us to learn more about each other in different ways. As I think about Anita Baker, uh, and I think about a her, and I say, what's the difference between the two of them? Yeah. And is her destined to go the same way as an Anita Baker? Did Anita Baker herself choose to just get out the game because I'm just tired of doing that? Uh, I know, Tommy, that as much as I love music, I don't know if I would love it if I had to do concerts all the time with 10, 15 songs, man. I mean, I love music. Yeah. You know, I probably could do a three to four song set, you know, but I ain't trying to be singing, blowing my voice out, doing that on a regular. At least I don't think so. And yeah. so I'm just grateful for the, the, the gift that God has given me and the ability to do it kind of, uh, you know, uh, anonymously almost, you know, uh, you know, by myself, write a song in my studio by myself, play it to a few friends. And then maybe someday it may have something else that it has as a as a, an objective. But right now, yeah, Eric, that's that's a great point. Again, um, you know, the segue to connecting with work. Uh, just this past week, I was asked by a client uh, to do a series of trainings in uh, July, September of next year, July through September, and they said that there may be a week that we will have. Uh, about four different trainings, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and uh, well, four of the same trainings, different sessions. Mm -hmm. And they asked, you know, could you do two four hour trainings in one day? I was like, yeah. Right, right. Uh, it's like, I mean, they said, wait a minute. So we're looking like at 7.30 a.m. start and then concluding at 11.30, take about an hour break, tee back up at 12.30, wrap up at 4.30, facilitating a right, training. Right. I said, yeah, yeah. And he's like, really? And I said, uh, so you really want to know why I say it so quickly? He's like, yeah, we're very interested. He said three things. One, I've done it before and I continue to do it. It's something I love to do. Right. I don't know if I would be able to do the exact same thing with the exact same audience in that frame, right? 
because it would be too boring for me. Right. But because there's it's the same content, but it's different audiences. Right. Number two, I'm facilitating the training. Right. So there are breakout sessions and people right. bring that Each stuff one back. Is different. Yeah. Right. Right. And then three, I have learned how to manage my energy mm. throughout the course of the day. That's important. Right. Yeah. So I used to come in very high. Right. Right. And right. burn out in an hour. Right. Right. And by noon, I'm like, good. But the work that we do, if it's not training, if it's consulting, if it's not consulting, then it's coaching. If it's not coaching, then we're simply listening, which takes energy. Trying to be effective and unbiased. Right. Right. So with me being unbiased, Eric, it doesn't take a lot of energy for me to be objective, just to listen and learn. Right. But when I infuse my own bias to try right. to win an argument, right. try to that's prove right. a point, Takes that's when energy. energy. Yeah, yeah. And we just don't do that anymore. And I would say that the work that we're doing today is life-giving work. I mean, our work, uh, it gives energy back to us. Yeah. You know, I'm so grateful for the, the work that we get to do uh, when I started uh, 31 years ago, you know, my style was different. I was more, you know, I'm young, so I got a lot of conflict energy, you know, uh, you know, shut them down, tell the truth, you know, call somebody out. The older I've gotten, the wiser I've gotten, uh, the more humility that I bring to this work. And once you really take an honest look at the conversation about bias, uh, you have to recognize that you, first of all, have real genuine biases that you have to work on as well. And when that becomes true for you, then you no longer can uh, can beat other people up, man. Yeah. You're really trying to, number one, hear their pain, because that's my experience, Tommy, is that we, the, the, the war that's going on in the, on in the world is about victims. Who's the biggest victim? You know, so people of color, marginalized groups have been victims. And so the dominant culture looks at that and says, hey, they're victims. They're, they're winning because they get to be the victim. I want to be the victim. Mm -hmm. And so now the research says that uh, people in the dominant culture feel like they are more subject to bias and victims of bias than anybody. Mm -hmm. you know, that the white male is the most oppressed. And so... Uh, you can agree with that, be frustrated by that or whatever, but that's what it is. And so for me, Tommy, I find that the first thing I want to do is demonstrate empathy to everybody that's in front of me. And in many ways, what that really means is to love people, love people enough to care about them, to listen to them, uh, to understand what some of their challenges are in their workplace. And as you do that, you begin to reduce the social distance between you and the people that you're trying to educate. And I think you begin to make the ground more fertile for, uh, for learning to take place. And I think so often, if we come into the training environment with an agenda and we're going to get people told and we somehow see ourselves up on uh, uh, the mantle, you know, we are... Uh, you know, sort of in diversity heaven coming to rescue them, I think that disqualifies us yeah. from being able to effectively educate people. And when you come in with love and with empathy and a willingness to listen, my experience, Tommy, is that people are eager to tell the truth about who they are. And they're even eager to tell the truth about the brokenness that, uh, you know, existed in their family, some of their own shortcomings, when people know you're not just going to judge them, you're not going to beat them up. And uh, I'm just so grateful that God allowed me to get that insight because I think you can go a whole lifetime, Tommy, and never uh, want to have uh, empathy or demonstrate love to people who you think have advantages. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Ken Wilson, it's so good to see you with us, man. We love you. Love your encouragement. And uh, we're going to have to have you on the show because we need that uh, big brain and that uh, wisdom to be expressed again with uh, with our community. 
Uh, Tommy, we've got a, a full agenda today that we wanted to kind of talk about. The first area that I mentioned to you was uh, the question mark around how do people know the difference between being victims of bias and discrimination in their workplace and them being uh, ill-equipped, not performing the job well, uh, being ineffective themselves and in need of development. Uh, what are your thoughts? How do you see this show up in the workplaces that you operate in, uh, Tommy? Because I'll tell you, bias uh, is is not an easy thing. You know, I was just talking about uh, our wonderful guest from last week, Randy, uh, Dr. Randy Berlou, uh, brilliant guest, brilliant researcher, uh, passionate, a uh, lot of insight. And she uh, gave an example of a situation where her husband was uh, not going to go to a, a car lot, you know, at night to sort of try to return a car. He's saying, hey, if I go there, you know, what happens when the police show up and a black man is trying to explain why he's returning a car? And for me, I didn't think much about that. And I wouldn't, me, I wouldn't normally fear that. And I think that in part because of the level of emotional intelligence that I have and my confidence in my ability to interact uh, sometimes even with a suspicious uh, party in ways that uh, uh, come out with a positive result. But I, I was telling you, uh, I don't feel that same comfort though with my own boys. Yeah. You know, when I think about my middle son and he's got a big Afro now and, and sometimes a little scary and I'm just afraid, man, that police may just shoot him. And so, but, but the question is, how do we know the difference between discrimination and something else occurring? I think, Eric, we have to look at ourselves through three different lenses. Hmm. One is self-introspection. Okay. So we have to be able to look at ourselves honestly and to assess where we are hmm. psychologically in any event and environment physically how are we physically placed maybe it's the hierarchy in the organization or the org chart or our role and responsibility we have to be able to assess where what's our position and then we have to leverage our emotional intelligence as you mentioned mm -hmm. and how we emotionally respond to events circumstances situations and conversations mm. and then lastly we have to be self-critical mm. Okay. That self-criticism will allow us to be humble to know that we may not be doing as well as we think we are. Okay. And if we are not doing as well as we think we are, let us receive the feedback from others to assess or critique our performance. Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example. Okay. Very quick example. Many, many years ago, I was leading diversity, equity, and inclusion with the organization. My former boss had left the organization, and now I am uh, assuming his role and responsibility. The organization knew I was assuming the role, although I did not have the title. Mm -hmm. My direct reports, others on the team were assuming the role as being my direct report, and I was leading the team forward. We got a new manager who did not want to do diversity, equity, and inclusion, it was going to allow me to do it. Mm -hmm. She, I, I would say suddenly decided that she wanted one of my direct reports to lead the work, mm -hmm. right? My direct report was uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Tommy, you're the, you're the lead. I don't know why X is telling me to lead. Right. I don't know what's going on. I was self I was self-aware, like this is some BS. I was heavily biased. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, I know, and everyone knows I'm leading this work. Mm -hmm. Why would you tell my direct report to lead it? Mm -hmm. Okay, well, emotional intelligence. All right, let me get out of my way. Pride, thank you for speaking. You can have a seat. Ego, thank you for speaking. Oh. You oh. Right. I'm going through this process. We're, we're rolling up to a very big meeting. Uh, there may be 
literally 60 or 70 executives as part of this virtual meeting. Mm -hmm. And in preparation for this virtual meeting, my manager was telling my direct report, you are going to run the part of BE&I, right? Eric, my emotions were getting the best of me. Mm -hmm. We went into the meeting. There were many other report outs from other departments, other leads. And I noticed that my colleague, my direct report, was not on the call. So I'm shooting internal texts and chats. Hey, where's so-and-so, right? My boss says, oh, they're out sick today. You got to present. Oh, oh, no. Right. Oh, no. So, so my performance was going to be measured right. based on what I am going to do in right. the spur of the moment. Right. And at that time, and in that moment, Eric, I thought there was a high level of bias and prejudice. Mm -hmm. I was subjugated, right? And I said, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> and so as we were going around Robin for the reports, uh, I had shared in the chat with everyone uh, that uh, I needed to step away for just a moment, right? Just a moment, I'll be back. Again, there was a lot of reports. And I stepped away and I returned about 15 minutes later uh, after it was my time to present. Mm. And so my boss called me afterwards. She called me on the phone. How dare you miss the portion that I told you you were going to do? Oh, man. Yep. And I decided to speak my truth. Mm -hmm. Yep. I thought it was unfair. I thought it was vindictive, right? I, I thought there was some high bias. Right. I share that story in closing, Eric, because I, I don't know right now if it was intentional. Right. I simply know my experience mm -hmm. and my experience. If I experience what I believe is bias, then it is right. If I'm not open to criticism, right, then I am kind of promoting bias. I'm not open for my continuous improvement. Right. So I would say that we have to be self-aware, self, you know, self in, with self intentions, emotionally intelligent as well as accept criticism while we are giving ourselves self-criticism. Wow. <clears throat> I love that, Tommy. And that story, uh, it seems clear to us hearing it now. It's not always clear when you're going through it. Yeah. Uh, I would say to you that for me, my suggestion to people as they look at this question of, is this bias, is this discrimination, or is this me? that that analysis has to begin before you ever accept a job with an organization. Mm -hmm. So I think that you, from the very outset of your consideration of an organization, you have to do the kind of research to help you understand uh, uh, what kind of place am I going to? Yes. Is this the kind of work that I want to do? Is this the kind of organization I want to work for? Do they have diverse people in leadership today? What is the experience of people like me today within those organizations? Now, oftentimes, uh, we may find ourselves going after positions that we may be the first. So it's hard to gauge that. But I think it, it starts there by asking the right questions and doing the right research. And then when we become a part of organizations, I think that we have to constantly be looking for feedback and, and uh, trying to do our best work. So we come in trying to deliver our best work, understanding what they've asked us to do, being uh, willing to deliver on those things, uh, and, uh, and then getting feedback from others. Because I think that you have to look at trying to get feedback, uh, get clarity on what people are looking for you to do. And I think that unfortunately, Tommy, even when you do all those things, if you're in a place where real bias is existing, then you may not be able to buffer yourselves completely against that. The other thing I would say is that things change. Organizations change. People change. Uh, I would also say that uh, an organization, 
you know, people of color can have two different experiences in the same organization. So this is never fully easy to understand. For me, I like to start from a place of what can I learn? What can I do better? How can I be my best contributing self within this organization? So I start with myself, assuming that there uh, won't be bias. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and then if it looks like it uh, bias is showing up, then I need to get feedback from others. I think that we need a network of people who, uh, uh, who we can trust will give us an honest assessment of ourselves. I think that it's dangerous, Tommy, for us to come to a conclusion all by ourselves. I think that a lot of times we need uh, truth tellers in our own lives that will give us uh, honest feedback, some that look like us, some that may look, not look like us. Eric, I think that what you're sharing were, were great actionable tactics or techniques. I really do. I would like to offer up that what you said, I don't want us to miss what you said on the word organization. What do I mean by that? As I was listening to you, I, I heard a number of things. And when you said organization, my mind immediately went to, you know, the corporation of the business, et cetera. But I caught myself to think about some other folks I've worked with. They are in faith-based organizations like the church. Mm -hmm. They're in nonprofit organizations that are mission driven mm -hmm. and sometimes faith based or mission driven organizations, they can be overly biased mm. towards something. Right. In other words, uh, we're doing this for the children and I know what's best for the children. Mm. Someone else tells me, well, what you're doing in your job is not really best for the children. And I may rationalize what I'm doing or not doing mm. to try to connect that with the mission of the organization mm. for the children. In other words, I know people who work for agencies dedicated to children and they themselves don't like children. Mm. Right. That's right. right. That's and right. so they're biased. The way they do it is, is like it, it, it turns into those poor kids or. I'm an adult. I'm a professional. I know better than they do. Mm -hmm. We don't need to listen to the voice of the customer, which are the children. Why? Because they don't know anything. Mm -hmm. But but that is part of humility mm -hmm. and part of how we can be overwhelmed by sometimes positive, well-intended bias. Mm. Right. Right. So we always have to self-correct that, like you said, with change. Although I think I'm doing the right thing for the right reason, right? I need to check my own bias to see if it's the halo effect, mm -hmm. right? If I'm going into conformity bias right. uh, or affirmation bias, those things that really in, inform and affirm my own ideology, my own mindset. Mm -hmm. So therefore, I kind of stay the course. And when I hear back from the customer or my manager, supervisor around my performance, I get shocked. What? I know better than you. Mm -hmm. And that's where we can kind of begin to assess as we go into organization, those things that you mentioned. And then as we're in the organization, be humble and adaptive to change, right. to move forward as a team collaboratively, right? And not just the I or me. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you this, Tommy. Uh, in schools, we sometimes we talked about this a little bit even last week, I think in schools, we'll see similar kinds of things. Uh, a lot of young people today are dealing with uh, stress, uh, you know, uh, mental illness, anxiety. And uh, I find that although institutions of higher learning are very they're very clear, they understand that the student of today is uh, tasked with dealing with a lot of stress and anxiety uh, at a level of maybe no other generation before them. So, you know, institutions recognize that. Uh, but I also see them as having a, a limit 
to how much grace and how much support they're willing to give students. So they'll support them to a level. And then they'll, at the end of the day, they'll say, well, you know what? Uh, you kids have got to pull your own weight. And anything your parents are saying, parents today are like helicopter parents and they uh, aren't uh, having high enough expectations of the children. How do we determine the difference between whether the institution is not being supportive of the anxiety that young people are dealing with and when young people have to take more responsibility and make less excuses? These, I know these questions that I'm asking that we're uh, considering today are not easy, yeah. Tommy, but are there any principles that both sides can apply to help us navigate a better solution? Yeah, Eric, this is a, a, a difficult question for a courageous conversation. And I would say thank you first for the question uh, and love to hear the community as well yeah. as you respond to it. Here's one thing I think about with the question. The question to me really lands on systems. Okay. And how do we as adults and or end users, students, et cetera, as you mentioned, higher education, maybe secondary education, mm -hmm. how do we critically examine the system and change the system to get a different and better result? It takes courage to confront the industry or the system that has been developed to the point where we benefit from it. Mm -hmm. So uh, a book by Paulo Freire is called The Pedagogy of the Oppressed. It talks about the multiple canons of education. Canon is actually the mindset, mm -hmm. right? The practice of education. And one is the teacher knows everything. The students know nothing. Right. The teacher thinks the students are thought about. So that canon needs to be disrupted. Mm -hmm. Meaning That's if right. the teacher thinks and the students are thought about, so the teacher thinks about the curriculum and the content that they're going to, they're going to be delivering to the student. The academic or educational system thinks about what students need as far as academically to progress or to be promoted to the next level. Sometimes it's short-term thinking. Mm -hmm. And that thinking is year to year, quarter to quarter, semester by semester. It's mm -hmm. not over a 15, 20, 30 year period of mm -hmm. thinking, what will we instill in the students today to impact them tomorrow? We need right. to disrupt this system that says, are we truly preparing our students for tomorrow? Right. Or are we reacting to today and are we truly listening to what the students are saying they want and they need to be effective tomorrow? That's right. That's what I think. Right. And Tommy, the other thing I would say is this. So I've seen educators on both sides. First of all, not everybody that's an educator should be an educator. Not everybody that's a DEIB consultant should be a DEIB consultant. So first thing you got to do is look at, am I really cut out for this profession, number one. Uh, am I still cut out for it? So I might've been cut out for it some time ago and now I'm just tired. So maybe I should move on. What I've seen is that the educators that are real student-centered educators are always fighting for that student's success. They are never giving up. They're never throwing in the towel. They are looking at each student as they're educating to the individual learner. So they're not looking to come into a classroom setting and be unable to give out one uh, sort of message to everybody and everybody has to buy it the same way. They actually are looking to customize that uh, learning uh, to the needs of the individual learner. And what I've seen from the best educators is that they, they see whatever challenges my child is dealing with, they multiply that, that other children are probably experiencing the same thing. You're just the one that's come forward. And so I've loved those uh, individuals. The other thing that you and I know is that 
we always want to say that we have to be responsible for giving our best and doing our best. But I think that we have an obligation as parents to know our children well enough mm -hmm. to kind of know when the issue is uh, mental and and sort of or, and when it's effort and 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 moral. When is it mental? When is it moral? And I think that as we've seen our children operate over time, uh, we get to know who they are. And I think then we we get to weigh in from a perspective of having studied this uh, as much as possible from an objective perspective. Now, when I say objective and parent, uh, how well do those go, uh, Tommy? <laughs> yeah, yeah not, not too well. We try our best right. to be objective and to be a parent. Right. But there there is a there is a very, very strong emotion that gets in the way of that objectivity and parenting. Right. And that strong emotion is love. Right. So we want to be objective. It's that parent or it's that teacher that really loves the student. We want to be objective, but I love you so much. And that love will create the courage or sometimes, uh, you know, some mistakes where I, you know, I know, I know you want to grow. I know you have your voice, but I see something that you don't. And I want to protect you from that. Mm -hmm. Right. So the school teacher who loves the students will, will say, I know I'm supposed to teach content curriculum, mm. but I am seeing a behavior that's going to lead you into a pitfall. Mm -hmm. I love you so much that I want to change your behavior. Right. We'll get to the content. Right. That's the yes. system. Right. Mm -hmm. We'll get to that. We'll get to the curriculum. But your behavior, your thoughts mm -hmm. is going to get you in trouble. From a parenting perspective, the parent says, um, you know, I, I was around before you were around because I'm your parent and I have seen you grow. And some of your growth is because of my pouring into you and others pouring into you. But now I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be objective to see you as you and not see you through my eyes. But love of trying to see you is getting in the way because I'm like, you don't know who you are, son or daughter. And the son or daughter says, I don't know who I am. I'm trying to find my way. That is when, as a parent, we have to be objective. Right. You, you don't know your way. I see that you don't know your way. And I'm trying to interject what the right way is. Stop. Now is the time for mutual development. Right. Yes. Yeah, so the parent educates the, the child and the child educates the parent Absolutely. from an objective perspective. And now we get to a place that neither one could have imagined because it hasn't been created yet. Right. I, Tommy, you used the word love a few times now. So let's, 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 let's park there for a minute. I would say that love is at the core of a lot of this, that love means I have to search to be objective. Love means that I cannot fail you by just always joining your side. Excuse me there. I can't always sort of join your side or pacify you. That's not love. Uh, love, I think love causes us to pause. And love is what sends us towards exploration and curiosity and an openness to solutions. You see, because in my view, love says that I want to uh, identify with you the solution that's in your best interest. And so I think that whether we are a teacher in a school, a consultant in an organization, a manager of a person, that love should cause us to pause and really begin to say, what in fact is going on here? And uh, how do I need to show up so that you might be able to uh, be your most successful self? And I think that so often 
we're exhausted. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, we just don't have the capacity to love people enough uh, to be willing to scrutinize our own behaviors and to uh, say, what are some of the better solutions? Maybe that's at the heart of this. Uh, it may seem like an oversimplification, but uh, that's a huge word. Yeah, I think I think it is at the heart of it, Eric. Again, it, it may sound like an oversimplification, but I think when we start to think, we convolute the simplicity mm. of life. Okay. Right, I, I do. Mm. I think that we have thought we being human beings, we have thought about things and created things and scenarios and events in our environment, uh, which has created other problems that we enjoy solving those problems. Mm -hmm. So if it's education, if it's how to engage employees and how to uh, care for those disgruntled employees, how to support executives and leaders who are at the top of their industries, but still feel like they're alone and confused. We can overthink it or we can approach it with the concept of love. Let me ask you this, Tommy. There are a lot of people uh, that may be in our community that feel that love is a very weak response to the uh, uh, to the heaviness, uh, to the uh, the the power, the negative power of bias and discrimination. So when you say love in the, in the face of bias and discrimination, there are a lot of people that find it as a cop-out and uh, inadequate, an inadequate response to bias, hatred, and discrimination. What's your thoughts about that? I, I certainly have some thoughts, but what are yours? First, love is the entry point for courageous conversations, period, for conflict. That's love. That's the entry point, Eric. Mm. Love will have one sustained suffering. Mm. Love will. Hate is really re retaliatory. It's, it's really uh, poignant, right? It's really me versus them. Mm. Love will have you stand in the midst of darts. Mm and suffer the cuts while you're thinking about how do you heal yourself and the person who's who is uh, uh, applying that hate that hurt love is the most powerful mm. emotional oh, psychological, wow. and analytical concept that we have so you're saying that haters and biased discriminators may think that they're winning but they cannot win. They cannot. Mm. That's no a further. powerful thought, Tommy. I, I don't think, I don't know if we're ready for that one, no. but I would agree with you that love is the strongest weapon no. we have. And that means that my love causes me to pause and to see through what you're coming at me with. Now, I may not choose to be here forever if your hate and bias and discrimination persists. But what I know is that love is my armor. It's the armor of protection for me. It is the way forward. It is what uh, winners do is that they love. Uh, we know that Christ loved us so much that he gave his life. And then while he was on the cross dying, he said, Father, forgive his killers because yep. they know not what they're doing. Yeah. Oh my. Eric, yeah. It, love is not a weakness. I don't think so. Uh, it takes great sacrifice to love. It takes great selflessness to love, particularly other people and other things. Right. When the venom and hatred hurt is coming to you, can you, and this is in society or at work or at church or any other organization, can you see the love in the other person, right? 
Right. And, and then sometimes it's a matter of asking that question literally as a step of, you know, I'm, I'm a, I, we have diametrically opposed views on this topic or situation. What do you love? I love my country, right? I love my heritage, right? I love my people. And how about you? Me too. I love my country. I love my heritage. I love my people. And so love is a common theme. It's a commonality. Mm. Right? We're looking at the same thing differently. Right. But the common denominator is love. Right. And I want to add to this for those that may be getting lost in the weeds uh, a bit is that, see, love is about your own mental health as well. In other words, uh, what I've said is that no matter what you throw at me, you don't get to take away my freedom uh, to care and love. You don't get a chance. You don't get to change my emotions, my character, who I am, because as you are throwing bias and discrimination at me, if I buy into that and begin to just sort of contemplate and, and live out that, that is doing further damage to me. Now, let me make it clear, community, that we're not suggesting that you have to just stay there forever and take anything. No. Uh, ultimately, you may decide, hey, this is not a fit. I got to right. move on, whether that's a marriage, whether that's a school, whether that's a job. Uh, you may have to tell some truths that people don't want to hear. You may have to do that. That doesn't change that you love them. But love is a mindset that says that I'm going to try to deliver my best attitude, my best uh, mentality, my best heart, my best emotion to every environment that I'm in. And I don't let anything that you do change that in me. Uh, because if, if I do let you change that in me, then I become something less than what I want to be. And it ultimately harms me. Eric, you, you struck a nerve. If you, if you don't mind in the community, if I can share literally in two, two and a half minutes, a quick story that happened last week with me very quickly, uh, my company over the last year, year and a half, we've been working on restructuring certain policies, procedures, engagements. Uh, just like Eric and I, we have a, uh, a partnership. That's There's right. work that we do with one another. Right. Um, I love my brother, Eric Ellis. I have complete trust in him. Same so not me. only at work, we do some partnerships there. Sometimes it's a little, sometimes it's a lot. I don't even care about that, to be honest. But our relationship is greater than that. And so what I've done is with my company, I've we have begun to assess the relationships that we have with our strategic partners. And we have a number of what we call 1099 sub, you know, subcontract consultants. Mm -hmm. Then we have some other contractors who are minority business enterprise or women business enterprise. And we need those folks because we do work with government entities that we have to have a we have to meet a supplier diversity spend goal. Mm -hmm. So it's a win, win, win for everyone. We win, they win, the organization wins. Right. So in this analysis, I did two things over the last year. Um, I asked my consultants, particularly the trainers, to complete a, an intercultural development inventory. It's called an IDI. Mm -hmm. I asked them to do that because I needed to, one, assess where are they truly in the space of intercultural competence mm -hmm. and maybe bias. So I asked them to complete a couple of implicit association tests. Mm -hmm. So I'm not interested in just paying you to get in front of our clients to go rogue. Right, right, right. right. I'm, I'm interested on, do you really believe in this work? Right. You with me, Eric? Mm -hmm. So I assess folks. Of the folks that I asked, it wasn't everyone, of the folks that I asked, 99% of the folks that I asked responded. They took the assessment. They took the test. It was no problem. But I had that 1%. No, we're not going to do that. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I had to follow up three months later. We had to we had to kind of standardize some of our price points and payouts, right? Because we're trying to manage a business mm -hmm. 
and costs change and travel things change, everything changes. We're trying to standardize some things just like any other large corporation. Mm -hmm. So I had to deploy a couple of contracts in total, about 20 different contracts to bind people under this. Here's the standard payouts, rates, audit. Right, right. And to protect co-development of con content audit. Right, right. That is part of the business, Eric, that I do not like. Right. Got to be done. Got to be done. Everyone completed it except two. Mm -hmm. Right. And I said, well, if you have any questions, let's talk and right. we can explore. Right. But I had a deadline of when the contracts needed to be submitted. So the two that did not submit, I talked with them via telephone and they said, we can't sign it. Right. One of them said, I enjoy working with you. I love you as a brother. Can't sign it. I didn't even ask why. Mm -hmm. I know that. The partnership had not always been reciprocal. Right. Meaning, like you and I, it's always reciprocal. Right. right? Absolutely. Like, I can help you. You can help me. It's right. it's a no-brainer. Right. And that in that type of actionable love of reciprocity right. is what was driving me. And right. I wasn't getting it. And I was like, man, I'm right, right. You know, I'm just paying you and you One do the same work. One way. Right. The other person said, I haven't gotten a, I haven't gotten a lot of work with you um, in the last year year and a half, so I can't sign the contract because I'm not working with you. And I felt a certain way as I closed my story to say, I have never heard you reach out to me right. ever right. in three years. Right. I've always reached out to you, so there were some telltale signs that this is a money grab for you. You're not interested in partnering for the children, for that other company, right. for the sake of DNI, it was playing itself out, Eric. Right. And so again, there's certain people like yourself. I didn't send a contract. Right. I don't need to. It's right. good. Right. Others, there's some technicalities that if the client right. has, and the trust level's not as high. And, yeah. and, and, and if it's not high, then I have to protect myself. You have to yep. really protect yourself. It ain't even about it's about Indeed. I gotta make sure you don't come back at me some kind of crazy way. And even with our clients, Eric, they ask, and some many times they ask, do you have any subcontractors? Yes. Do you have a contract with them? Right. Right. And yes. Right. If it's you and I, we'll create that contract based right. on the task order. What? I'm sharing that because what you're sharing about education and bias and self-reflection i do that personally and professionally and i think that other people should do that too we have to approach this with love and self-reflection emotional intelligence and criticism right right and the thing that we do for each other which is really a blessing is we provide each other feedback either directly or indirectly that we both appreciate Yes. You know, and that's just it's it's a it's a it's a blessing and it's rare. So yeah. that just doesn't occur that much in the world. Uh, we live in a very plastic world where people aren't willing uh, to take the risk to have uh, genuine, honest diversity conversations. And so I appreciate the fact that we've been able to do this for the last five years. And some of the times that we get a chance to just ride along in a golf cart and talk to each other about everything that's going on in our lives is really a blessing. So uh, we come to the end of our conversation today. We had no idea that we would spend the entire time talking about discrimination uh, versus what we need to work on, and then finally land in a place of, uh, of love. And that's uh, a message that doesn't, that's a word that doesn't always find itself uh, coming in to the conversation about diversity. Mm -hmm. We think that we can deal with this tactically and legally. Mm -hmm. And I would say that there's another aspect of it, which is love and the power that love has to help us keep growing and to help us be more effective with others. Tommy, you got the final word as we uh, sign off. Final word again, thank you. Uh, community, 
uh, encouragement around love. I know it's a, a big word, uh, but I would like to ask that we put those words and concepts into action to love our enemies, to love our loved ones, and to love ourselves, and to continue to do that as we end this year of 2022 and go into 2023, that I believe it will be the year of love, appreciation, and recognition. Those are my words for the day. Eric? Outstanding. Well, community, we thank you for joining us again this week. Have a great week as you uh, continue in your own diversity conversations, and we'll see you next week at the same time uh, when Tommy and I uh, will continue this conversation. Brooke, you can close us out. Take care. Take care. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Diversity Conversations. Visit us on LinkedIn, YouTube, and of course, Facebook. We will see you at the next conversation.